0: Just over two weeks before the new fiscal year, the two chambers of the New York State Legislature have released their proposed budgets. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley reports.
1: The Chamber's rank-and-file are reviewing the details in each one-house budget plan. State Senators received a briefing Wednesday in advance of a planned floor vote on Thursday. The Senate's plan restores or increases funding to a number of programs, including agriculture, increases Governor Kathy Hochul's budget's proposed $1.9 billion recommendation for community college funding by $8.7 million, adds $13 million in cost-of-living support for the elderly, and, quote, intentionally omits the executive proposal to increase tuition for SUNY and CUNY, unquote. Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins says the one-house budget is a statement on Democrats' priorities. Obviously, it's affordability. Obviously, it's trying to keep uh, money in the pockets of New Yorkers while we continue to invest in our priorities. Obviously, the economy... Uh, obviously, uh, health, education, the environment, housing, you know, promoting uh, our our small businesses, and just again moving forward in um, you know the important aspects uh, that New Yorkers expect us to pay attention to. Republican Senate Minority Leader Rob Ort contends the plan is unsustainable.
2: This budget does nothing to help New Yorkers who are facing affordability challenges. The biggest takeaway is that this budget spends, their resolution spends $9 billion more. They're laser focused on protecting people who've committed crimes, Uh, they've done nothing. Talk about uh, the unemployment insurance, there's nothing about that. Even the assembly, my colleagues in the assembly Democrat, they actually put up I think $2 billion, $2 billion. Some recognition that this has to be paid down and that our businesses are getting stuck with the bill. My colleagues in the Senate, no such acknowledgement. So very disappointing, very frustrating. In its plan, the Assembly restores funding to
1: higher education, school aid, Medicaid, aid to local governments, and other programs. Assemblyman Billy Jones, a majority Democrat representing the 115th District, says he is proud to have secured critical funding for the North Country while rejecting proposals he says would harm localities.
3: I see some infrastructure improvements in there. Uh, I had a bill for our volunteer fire departments that uh, will help with infrastructure and equipment costs. We got a portion of that in our budget. I'll still keep pushing for that. You know, there's other things uh, that have become uh, vital to help our seniors as well. Agriculture, there's a lot of things in there. Tourism to help our Adirondack towns out. So a lot of budget priorities. I think we can get a lot of this stuff into the final budget.
1: Republican Assemblyman Matt Simpson from the 114th District said he was reviewing the proposed budget but was pleased with a number of items.
4: There were um, several things that I'm pleased to see. Funding for Cornell Cooperative Extension included increases in, you know, much of their programs. And I think there was an overall increase in the ag area of the assembly budget. You know, the increase in water infrastructure funding, that is a huge uh, issue. You know, I'm pleased that the universal school meals, you know, universal free lunches, in schools was included in the assembly one house. I mean, there's a lot of uh, great things in here. I mean, here's another really important addition, and that's a firefighter capital improvement fund established at the $10 million level. It really needs to be much
1: higher. Last year's final budget agreement was nine days late. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley.
0: The New York State Republican Party elected its next chair to steer the party through the 2024 elections. Ed Cox is taking a second turn at running the party. The son-in-law of former President Richard Nixon says he wants to build on inroads made by Republicans in New York in 2022. More from our Capitol correspondent, Karen DeWitt.
5: Cox and other Republicans at the party's annual meeting held Monday outside Albany are buoyed by some unexpected wins in New York in 2022. Though a predicted nationwide red wave never materialized, the New York GOP flipped four congressional seats and the governor's race was the closest it's been in nearly three decades. Cox believes Republicans in 2024 can take down the Democrats super majorities in the state Senate and Assembly. He says the Senate's recent rejection of Governor Kathy Hochul's choice for chief judge, the first time in the state's history that that's happened, shows that Democrats in the legislature have too much power.
3: They're drunk at power. That's the most important thing to them, and they're now trying to take over the judiciary. Uh, that's corruption of the worst sort. It's corruption for the foundations of our democracy.
5: Cox previously served 10 years as party chair, from 2009 to 2019, until he left to lead a fund Raising effort for then-President Donald Trump's bid for a second term. Cox was succeeded by Nick Langworthy, Langworthy stepping down after being elected to Congress last fall. Cox says he plans to provide a fresh outlook, though, and his leadership team will include a number of new faces.
3: We're bringing in a team that
5: does have a lot of new blood in it. Cox says he will rely on, among others, the advice of former congressman and former Assembly Republican leader John Faso. Faso spearheaded a successful challenge of Democratic-drawn election district lines. Republicans are outnumbered by Democrats by two to one in New York, and they have fewer members than the number of New Yorkers who identify as independent voters. But Cox says he thinks the Republican platform of public safety, job creation, and improving education are more in step with average New Yorkers than some of the values of the Democratic Party. He says New York may be a blue state, but it's more of a blue-collar type of blue. And he says Democratic U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, up for re-election this year, is vulnerable.
3: She's a non-entity. People don't know what she's done or what she intends to do. And I think she's going to have challenges on her side, and I think we can win that race.
5: The 2022 GOP candidate for governor, former Congressman Lee Zeldin, has been mentioned as a possible Republican candidate for the post. Cox is refusing to be drawn into the 2024 presidential race this early. He says he won't say whether he would support Trump or if it's time for a new candidate. Cox also would not weigh in on whether controversial Long Island Congressman George Santos, who appears to have fabricated most aspects of his biography, should resign. Uh, He's a complete fab. Nassau County GOP leaders, including County Executive Bruce Blakeman, have called on Santos to leave. The congressman is facing a number of state and federal investigations. Cox says the state party could change its position on whether Santos should stay or go, depending on the outcome of those probes. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
0: You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok spoke this week with newly elected and returning chair of the New York State Republican Party, Ed Cox. Alan begins by asking Ed how he sees his role.
3: Well, in this case, the chairman is going to be, first of all, there are 62 counties, 62 party chairs and in the process of becoming chairman, you call them all. And I found that we have some really terrific new chairs and particularly the upstate cities where we needed them, on Onondaga and Monroe and Erie and Broome. Uh, and uh, so we work with those chairs with respect to, and the local elections coming up to recruit good candidates, make sure they're well funded, uh, Get some momentum in the in the uh, local elections. Some good candidates out of that who can then run for the assembly seats or the senate seats, uh, or again a good candidate. And this will be different. Who can run against Senator Gillibrand, who is up in 2024? Can she be beaten? Sure. What's can her name doesn't... again? Yeah. What has she done? You know, people don't know her. I'm not even sure she lives in New York any longer. And uh, she really hasn't done much, certainly not much to benefit New York State while she has been in the Senate, so the U.S. Senate. So she is vulnerable. Uh, I think that there are rumors that, that even Andrew Cuomo might challenge her. Do you believe he might? Uh, no, I don't believe the rumors. Uh, if you really push me on it, I would say, but I think AOC would very much like to challenge her. I think she's very vulnerable, Julie Brown, very vulnerable to a challenge from the left. But regardless, I do believe that she will be challenged. In any case, she is weak. We put up a strong candidate. I think we can make a good run at her.
6: And the strongest
3: candidate you can think of off the top of your head right now is? No, I do not have one off the top of my head. (laughs) But. I'm sure that there are those who will show up and others who we might talk to about doing it. But we do have to get started fairly quickly on that race. If you're going to run a a statewide race, and and this is what Lee Zeldin did, he got started in the year before. Uh, Sometime in the spring, that's when you have to get started if you're going to, a Republican making a run for a statewide office here in New York State.
0: That's Ed Cox, the newly elected and returning chair of the New York State Republican Party, speaking with Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartog. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Governor Kathy Hochul's proposal to ban the sale of flavored tobacco products, including menthol cigarettes, is in doubt. After state lawmakers released their budget plans this week, the Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas with more.
7: Supporters of the proposal, part of Hochul's $227 billion budget plan, say it would have prevented individuals in targeted groups from taking up smoking in the first place. Jeannie Orr is program manager for Capital District Tobacco-Free Communities. She considers mentholated tobacco products a starter kit for young people.
8: Over the last few years, young people, their tobacco use has gone up. It was going down and down, and then with the introduction of e-cigarettes and the flavors in e-cigarettes it shot up and so now tobacco use is way high for young people so that one out of four high school students are now using a tobacco product a lot of it is e-cigs but they are also moving on to other products and what's out on the market which I think some people don't realize are these very inexpensive flavored cigars that come in flavors like sweet watermelon green apple bubblegum all kinds of flavors that are attractive to young people. And, um, and there's also menthol cigarettes, which make it easier to start and harder to quit because it has a cooling sensation on the throat and it uh, makes it easier to draw in the smoke.
7: Centers for Disease Control and Prevention data shows African-American smokers are more likely to use menthol cigarettes than individuals from all other demographic groups. Jerry Bell chairs the Albany NAACP Health Committee.
6: Our hope is to prevent
3: our children from starting to smoke. And if it's the menthol that that entices them to begin smoking in the first place, then hopefully we can reduce the number of young people who start to smoke as well as have an impact on adults who smoke and suffer the consequences of sickness and, and some. Sometimes ultimately death
6: from cigarette related illnesses.
7: Retail store owners opposed Hochel's initiative. Both houses in their budgets did approve raising the cigarette tax by a dollar from $4.35 to $5.35 per pack. Kent Sopris with the New York Association of Convenience Stores argues a menthol ban makes no sense since state cannabis policy allowed flavors such as fruit punch and grapefruit to be marketed in state-licensed stores.
4: What these prohibitionist policies do, uh, including the regressive tax increase, only hurts small businesses and strengthens the illicit underground market. Uh, It has no meaningful impact on smoking rates in New York State. New York State uh, a couple years ago banned flavored tobacco vapes, vape products. Uh, My members don't sell those products, but they are prevalent throughout New York. Kids still smoke them. People, adults smoke them. They've technically, not technically, they've legally been banned since 2019, and yet they're everywhere. They're in the illicit market. People can get them in other states nearby. People can get them on native reservations. That's just a, you know, a, a template for what will happen if, if menthol, which is about a third of the category sold by my stores, is banned. It will be taken out of the regulated taxed uh, retail space and thrown into this unregulated, untaxed, Wild Wild West retail market where they don't do things like ID check or pay taxes.
7: Soper says the tax increase will hurt the 7,500 businesses he represents by driving customers to buy tobacco products elsewhere.
4: They're going to find them in the reservations. They're going to find them in other states, or they're going to find them in the illicit market we've been talking about. You know, this this illicit market is about 53 percent of of all cigarettes in New York State that are purchased and, and used are from the illegal market. As it's written, as as per the assemblies proposal, the state's going to lose money over on the tax increase. Uh, in their proposal, they, they they assume a $13 million hit on uh, the first year alone, uh, nearly $80 million over four years. So that's, that's money that's going to be taken away from cessation and health programs.
7: Hochul's office did not reply to a request for comment. The final budget is due April 1st.
0: For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. Student journalists across the state want New York to limit censorship of high school newspapers. Dozens of students traveled to Albany last month to push for the bill. But a group of school administrators says now is not the time to rock the boat. Reporting for the Legislative Gazette, WSKG's Megan Zarez has more.
9: Ada Gray is a senior at Corning Painted Post High School. She's also an editor-in-chief for one of her school student publications, Tessa Ray.
10: So these three teams in here are coverage teams, so they work on, like, the photos, like, just sports stories, all of that, and weekly coverage, and then... Tessa Ray is Corning's yearbook,
9: but the publication has become much more than just class pictures and autograph pages. The students also publish in-depth news features, and they do regular news coverage of school events. Ashley Tawari shares the editor-in-chief role with Gray. Some of the um, like issues we've covered is like man books, um, dress code, uh, school safety, stuff like that. The two say they're fairly lucky. Their principal and teachers have always been really supportive, even though their work has at times sparked controversy in their community. Here's Gray.
10: When I was a freshman, we told a story about a senior that was pre- um, going through a pregnancy and how the couple was dealing with it and how everything, how, what they were going to do after the baby was born. And I know there were a few community members who were like, I'm not really sure that we should be like, promoting this. Tawari and Gray are a part
9: of a group of students across New York campaigning for a bill that would protect student journalists' First Amendment rights. They say not all student journalists enjoy the same freedom that they do. A 1969 Supreme Court decision says students do retain their free speech rights when they're at school. But a later decision held that student journalists are an exception to that rule. Gray put it this way.
10: We always use the example of like students in our school can go to a rally supporting like LGBTQ youth. But if we if a student journalism program decides to write a story on that same rally, it can get censored.
9: The students say the proposed bill, the Student Journalist Free Speech Act, would still allow teachers and school officials to review student work before it's published. But school leaders would only be able to block publication under certain circumstances. Here's Gray and Tiwari's teacher, Mike Simmons. He's been helping students at Corning advocate for the bill.
2: Our kids cannot publish content that would incite violence, that would encourage people to break the law, that would be uh, or present a material disruption to the school day. They can't publish obscenity or libel or slander.
9: Simmons says the bill helps set clear guidelines for what's allowed and what's not. And he says that's good for students, teachers and school leaders. Simmons says students at Corning Painted Post have been pushing for the bill for six years now. The current version is still in committee in both the state Senate and the Assembly. And there's been opposition. Bob Lowry works for the New York State Council of School Superintendents. The group represents school superintendents across the state. It's also one of the groups that has lodged opposition to the bill. Lowry says his group isn't against school newspapers. He says they're often a great opportunity for students to learn about journalism and publishing. But he says many superintendents think the bill could make it easier for students to publish controversial stories. And he says some superintendents worry that could backfire. The
3: worst fear is that because of you know perhaps intense controversies in a community, a district says we're going to uh, to shut down the student paper. And then that opportunity is lost.
9: Lowry says in recent years, many educators have felt the pressure of increased political polarization. And politics matters. Superintendents answer to an elected school board. And it's up to voters to approve school budgets every year.
3: Schools are uniquely democratic, and I think that's a good thing. But it also means that uh, they need to be uh, attentive to community sentiment.
9: Ashti Tawari, one of the students we heard earlier, says there will always be issues in schools that will spark controversy. Race,
10: gender, sexuality, the hot button topics. You can't see my quotation marks on video. Um, <laughs> not my words, hot button, but um, those arguably
9: controversial things. But in my opinion, they are things that we face as
10: students today.
9: Tiwari and Gray say students are going to explore those topics anyway, whether that's on social media or in the hallways or in a school newspaper.
10: We want everything to go through a reputable source so people are getting the facts and what actually happened and also telling people stories that deserve to be told. And
9: they say that's exactly why student journalists have a really important role to play.
0: That's WSKG's Megan Zarez reporting for the Legislative Gazette. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government, politics. I'm David Gustina. Well, it may be the height of maple syrup season in the Northeast, but one researcher in northern New York has turned his focus to another type of sap. Adam Wild, the director of the E-line Maple Research Forest in Lake Placid, is out with a report on the economic potential of American beech trees. The research is supported by the Northern New York Agricultural Development Program. The Legislative Gazette's Jim Lavoulis spoke with Wild about his findings.
6: You know, I have an interest in looking at forests in general, and you know, working with maple. I love maple and working with that, but it's always great to be able to expand beyond the maple and look at how can we utilize our forests for more products. So, you know, what are other trees and resources that we can do here? So, we also tap birch trees at the E-Line Forest here. Um, my predecessor had started doing that, and Looking at birch trees and the production from that that's very popular in Alaska and even parts of Scandinavia. We'll tap birch trees for getting the sap and drinking in the spring um so we were we were doing that here for research and commercial production, so looking at you know what are the other species that we could be tapping within our forest to get more for that, so thinking more about you know the kind of the agroforestry so kind of the farming of our forest the uh, that get more than just that one individual crop, how can we get and how can we utilize these forests for more than just timber? And so if we look in a forest throughout kind of the northeast, we see a lot of beech trees throughout our forest.
2: When it comes to the source for this potential market of beech syrup, how does the population of the American beech in the northeast compare to maples that are used for maple syrup production?
6: They're fairly similar. The range for American beech and sugar maple overlap quite well and grow in usually the same type of forest. So there is a quite a broad range of beech trees growing throughout the northeastern United States, southeastern Canada, and reaching down kind of through the Appalachian mountain range. Beech trees have been experiencing a little bit of a disease called beech bark disease that attacks the beech trees. And so when you walk through a forest oftentimes now and look at a beech tree, I mean, a beech tree usually has this really nice, smooth, gray bark and will become these very large trees but with the beech bark disease it causes these little cankers that form on the tree that kind of restrict some of the sap flow and over time eventually the trees oftentimes will die off but their roots stay alive and they send up all kinds of roots and stump sprouts and so the trees continue to live so there's still lots of beech throughout our forest we just don't have as many large healthy trees.
2: Yeah, you note know in your report that based on current sales of $4.50 per ounce of beach syrup, a gallon would price out at $576. Now, pun absolutely intended here, that seems like a huge untapped market.
6: Yeah, so there certainly is. The value of beech would have to be more than it is for maple, and obviously maple syrup is not the cheapest product, and there is a lot of labor and inputs into making maple. And when we look at tapping beech trees, I was able to find in the research that I did that the amount of sap that you can get from a a larger beech tree is fairly comparable to what you would get from a maple, maybe a little bit less, but the sugar within the sap is much lower. So usually a maple tree takes about 40 gallons of sap to make a gallon of syrup, but in a beech tree, it's gonna be three times that, if not more. So you know we're looking at 120, 140 gallons of sap to make a gallon of syrup. So it takes a lot of sap just to make a little bit of syrup. Because of that, the value is gonna be much higher.
2: And in terms of the process uh, for tapping beech trees, processing that sap into beech syrup, is it essentially the same as with maple?
6: Yeah, essentially it is very similar. One really big important thing to take note is that we found that you know traditionally of tapping maple trees where you drill a hole and put a spout in and hang a bucket and collect that sap, Unfortunately, that doesn't work for beech trees. And what we found is that you actually have to put the beech trees onto a tubing system and have vacuum, which is how maple syrup production is done commercially now in most cases. So that's probably the biggest difference.
0: That's Adam Wild, director of the E-Line Maple Research Forest in Lake Placid, speaking with the Legislative Gazette's Jim Lavoulis. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2311. Or just listen online at wamc.org or schedule a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.